This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. We've got all the way from Brisbane, Australia, Riley O'Donnell with Inlaw. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, okay. Endla. Okay, wasn't wasn't positive. So you were, you were explaining really quickly the uh, the name and like where you actually got it from. You said it was a South African name. Yeah, right? so it's a, from a native South African language, Sitonga, and it means make, build, create. And I love that's it. exactly what we're doing. That is awesome. So really quickly, uh, I want to dive into your background. I think it's super interesting. Um, what do you guys do high level? Well, at high level, we help upstream oil and gas companies visualize all their data, break down data silos, mm-hmm. and then build complex auto design workflows on top of that. Is there a certain part of the life cycle in the data that you're working on? We work a lot with drilling completions teams at the moment, okay. uh, people who are developing new fields, but equally people who try to understand what's going on with their later life assets and where they can get more out of them. So I, I took a, I, I broke one of my rules and I actually looked at y'all's website. Usually I don't do that. But I saw that you guys had, it was, I'm guessing this is the platform. It looked like it was uh, totally 3D yeah. to where you can see uh, kind of the well bores to the kickoff points, to the endpoints, to the zones, to a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Since we can't visually see it on the podcast, can you like kind of break down how to imagine, like how do you describe it to people? Well, like, I mean, as, a, as an engineer, I've sat behind the Spotfire report or the Excel yeah. sheets and you get all this data sitting there. And like it means something in detail, but it also doesn't mean a lot. But having that in context in 3D is what we've built and you're able to actually see what your data means. So it's all in the cloud. You can do it for any device. You've got, you're like, you're, I'm moving my hands. You can't yeah. actually see what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's, imagine it's like a game. It's a 3D game yeah. with um, simple, simple graphics, but you're able to actually see the shape of your well. You're able to see where it lands in what formations. You can see how it connects into the terrain and the environment, the pipelines. Mm. Uh, you can see the depths that you've perforated or where there's opportunity to perforate other zones. You can even pull in production data and look at how's the production of a, of a particular well compared to another well nearby that might have um, been producing out of a different play. Mm. Okay. Um, so is it heavily on the well planning side? Kind of, is that like where you're, you're mostly seeing it? Well, we're in, we're in the early stage of developing the platform, really. Okay. So we're we're currently working really hard to make it extremely easy to to view all the data you've got, um, find the piece of information you're looking for, and then dive deeper into it. Mm-hmm. And once that experience is fantastic, then we're building applications on top of it. And so one of those is is well planning. You've got all this information sitting there on here are my trajectories. You can visualize how close are different wells to each other. You can overlay a map of which areas are producing best and then have auto, auto design workflows run on top of that to suggest uh, where, where good spots would be to actually run a well path and automatically design that well path too. That's sick. So, what is your, so what's your background? Are you a reservoir engineer? I'm a process chemical engineer, okay. finance, but I've been in the, in the process teams and reservoir teams at uh, Santos and production teams at ExxonMobil. Okay. Is that where you like, so how did, how did you come, how'd you come up with like the concept in the first place? So in, I ended up like building a lot of internal tools at the companies that I was okay. at. And you sort of, 
see the value of of having nice dedicated software in the space um but you're like building it in a single company they're not software companies so it's not properly maintained there's no roadmap to improving it mm-hmm. it's sort of built and then forgotten about the kind of way that i thought about it, like a lot of the incentives for building this stuff in inside companies doesn't then roll over to maintaining it and improving the tool yeah absolutely and so it's like well if there's such a big opportunity and such a big need for more companies in the space to help push forward the industry that it made a whole lot more sense to try that outside in a dedicated company and sell it back to and help everyone. So this was kind of like scratching your own itch in a way. Yeah. It's like, this well, is the kind of tool that this, I, this one I Yeah. This yeah. is the gap I see in the tooling that we don't have. Yeah. And with the end goal just being ideally more, more productive, I'm guessing. Yeah, being able to do more with fewer people. So like yeah. the, I think the industry is going to continue the trend of reducing headcount on, a, on yeah. a per well basis. And so it's how do you have one person able to do what 10 people do now? Yeah. So when, when, did, you do, when did you first come up with the idea? When did you guys start developing this? I know you talked about Y Combinator. I want to dive yeah. into that. That's super interesting, especially for, I think most of the audience probably doesn't know what Y Combinator is and what that kind of means. So yeah, let's start off with the idea. Like, where, like, when did this come about? So we sort of started working hard on this about two years ago now. Okay. So twelve months prior to applying to Y Combinator, we started off with our first sort of niche application, which is automatic well design. So engineered engineered designs of the well once you've actually drilled it, collected all the data you've got, ingesting that automatically on a on a factory like basis, spitting out optimized designs in a handful of minutes instead of hours. Um, we got that into some of the really big operators in Australia, public companies, um, and got really good, really good uptick and, and uh, usage of that, saving them a lot of money. So on the, on that specifically, let's dive into that. So like, how is that with you being an engineer? How is that like traditionally done without this tool? I mean, you're in Excel. <laughs> it actually depends on the company. So, yeah. so, so a lot of companies have internal tooling on a lot of stuff where they've they've come up with their own sort of automatic workflows for doing these things, and you see the promise of them. It's like this is saving you guys so much time and so much effort, but you're not a software company, and so you're you're what you're good at is operations. You're mm-hmm. good at how do we operate safely, reliably. And then how do we um, effectively produce oil and gas? And you should focus all your efforts on that. And so the best software engineers in the companies are focused on that core problem set, which is different than helping engineers then design stuff better. Yeah. Um, and so in some companies, they've got sort of uh, simple scripting that helps do that type of stuff. And in others, it's a, it's a manual process. And there's different trade-offs. So if you've scripted it, it's fast and repeatable and very much the same well to well. And if you're doing it manually, you get a much more bespoke and performance solution, but it's a lot slower in manual and mm. you, you can't output it at the same rate. How is it, how is accuracy in Excel compared to like what you guys are doing? I know you mentioned well, speed, right? Speed. Yeah, so like we, we basically say that we can achieve the performance that are, or better than the person who's sitting there doing the task manually, but with um, the speed, but also just easier, of what you can do in Excel with a piece of piece of software in the middle, and that's how we started out. Where it was just make it as good as what a person can do or better, but as easy as an automated workflow. Yeah. 
So were you guys, were you guys kind of like moonlighting while you're working at one of these companies or was it like you guys just f- said, fuck it, I'm quitting. I'm going all in prior to Y Combinator. How'd that go? I was a bit of a, bit of a mix. So like it was a bit of on the side, like figuring out whether or not we thought this was possible, putting little pieces together, understanding it. And then it was like, now nah, let's give it a full crack. Yeah. Uh, go out on our own, give it like six months. If we land a big contract, we're going, this is what we're doing. And if we don't, then. So we'll I guess you guys landed job. a big contract within six months? Yeah, we got a huge contract within six months. Oh, shit. Can we say who it is or no? Oh, uh, yeah. It- I mean, we, we're working with Origin. Okay. Uh, so they're a big public company in Australia. Okay. Uh, um, and so that was a huge win. And that sort of confirmed that, like, no, this is a serious thing we can do. Um, I love that you guys like that. went to commercialize it as early as six months, right? Because I That's think true. a lot of people get so in love with like the widgets that they're building and they'll they'll make that mistake of like never actually trying to get customers or even trying to get feedback. But it's, I love that you're like, hey, we either get a customer or we're going to go back to our jobs. And, like, it was very months. like, it's a very white combinator approach. It's like yeah. build quick, get it in front of the customer quick. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've seen like what Airbnb's website looked like when they first Mm-mm. put it in front of customers. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's something people need. Oh, if... I do. I do remember actually now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. It was like, it was so shitty. Yeah. yeah like you, you know, gotta be embarrassed. You yeah. gotta be embarrassed when you first launch. Yeah. If you're not, then you waited yeah, too long. You waited way too long. Yeah. So, okay. So you guys got your first customer. I feel like that was a, a, probably a huge catalyst for, for Y Combinator. For those who don't know, Y Combinator is like, I mean, I consider it to be like the Harvard of like accelerators, right? Paul yeah. Graham started it forever ago, probably maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago. I don't know how long it's been around really. They kind of do it on a cohort basis. Yeah. Right. They only let in like less than 1% of the companies that actually apply. That's why kind of the Harvard analogy. It's actually harder to get in. Harder harder. harder now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I applied forever ago, like 12 years ago. Didn't get in, uh, obviously. So walk me through that experience. I mean, so you guys applied, you got accepted. How long is the the cohort there? So it's uh, three months. Okay. It's very intense. So they run two cohorts a year. Um, so for anybody who's like thinking about, Hey, I may want to apply to Y Combinator, like walk us through, yeah, okay. like what, what were some of the takeaways? What were like, yeah, were you yeah. surprised about anything? Outcomes, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, like the process of applying, there's, there's a, I mean, it's very much similar to any application process. You sort of submit a form, which you basically talk about the idea you're working on your company, who you're working with, what the problem is. And you got to write that down clearly and succinctly in a way that anyone can understand, particularly for us in a, in a hard tech space and in oil and gas. That's not something that's traditionally understood well. Was, that, was there any like pushback there in, like, in kind of that application process of you guys being from oil and so, gas since white commenters in fucking San Francisco? <laughs> like, <laughs> it depends on who you talk to. Like, yeah. I think like, there, are, there are people that, are, that don't buy into the future of oil and gas being a part of the energy mix, and there are people that do think it'll be part of the energy mix. And I think yeah. that depends on a lot of different things. But yeah. I mean, one of them is, do you believe in carbon capture storage? Yeah. But, um, so, but investors take like a different spin on it, right? It's like, tell me, tell me how this could go really well. It's like, what are the 10, if, if there were 10 gates and you pass through each of those 10 gates, what does it become? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the grand the grand exciting thing that you're trying to solve and you're trying to work on. And that's what mm-hmm. you're trying to, that's what you're trying to portray in, in the Y Combinator yeah. application. Cause that's very much a, an angel investment. It's a bet on that what you're working on in the team 
can achieve something really exciting in the well, future. Well, let's do a little, like, I want to come back to what we're talking about, like, comedy, but really quickly, like, what is the old, I mean, I know, you know, we're a few years in, what is, like, what is the ultimate goal? What's the dream? What's the North Star? Like, what do you guys want to become? Oh, we want to have the, the platform that enables one engineer to do what, say, 100 are doing right now. Love it. Yeah. Hey, that's, if you pull that off, you've got, you've got something huge on your hands. Absolutely. It's a long way to go, but yeah. like step by step. Um, and our focus right now is that if you're going to achieve that, you need to really easily be able to view, consume, and find the data you're looking for. Yeah. Like everyone's visual. Yeah. If you can see it and yeah. feel it, you can understand. The UI UX is so underestimated in this space. I remember back when I was in your shoes, I was going in and pitching different companies of software that we had built. And the number one thing was just like, oh my God, this UI is beautiful. Like, this is beautiful software. That yeah. was like the old, like what we kept hearing time and time and time again. And I'm like, yeah, well, fuck yeah. It's a lot more beautiful than Excel, right? <laughs> like, it's much easier to understand and comprehend what you're actually looking at here. So um, Excel gets an unfed beating. Like, you can build some pretty beautiful yeah. stuff in Excel. Yeah. It's just hard. Yeah, it is just hard. Um, and the maintenance of it, too. Yeah. So going back to Y Combinator, yeah, what, what else about that experience? So, yeah, we... We submitted the, submitted the application, and then you, if you get um, selected for an interview, then it's a 10-minute interview. Yep. And so you get the four partners that you would be working with in the actual batch, and they basically just quiz you, drill you, ask curiously about what you're working on, how's attraction, what stage you're at, where mm -hmm. are you going, and they, they're just trying to answer the question in their head as to whether or not they think can be a, be a big thing. Um, and we ended up actually running a fair bit over time, which is quite unusual. Probably one of the benefits applying from Australia because of the time zones, but yeah. it's the end of the day for them. So there's no one coming after, so yeah. they can keep talking if they want to keep talking. So you finish the interview and then you sort of sit there and you go, oh, <laughs> didn't know how that went. Yeah. <laughs> you don't really expect to get in because the acceptance rates are so low. Yeah. Um, and then you sort of sit around waiting for a phone call. Uh, it's a phone call or an email. So if you're if you're rejected, it's uh, an email, mm. and if you're accepted, it's the partner calls you. And so um, you wait around, and then oh, you get a we got a phone call. It's like oh shit, we just because you know yeah. you know that if you get the especially for us like we're in Australia, yeah. you get a US phone call. Yeah, you know who it is. So, so did so, you have to move to San Francisco for those three months? Well, we did during COVID. Oh, so you probably did remote then? Yeah, remote. Yeah. 2 a.m. in Australia, remote during, uh, do like during calls, the lockdown. Like for yeah. the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty intense in terms of just staring at Zoom calls all day. Oh, I mean, there's there's not like, it's not, they give you lots of time to actually work on the business. Yeah. So that's one of the good things about it versus like uh, some other accelerators. It's like intense time of help coaching you through what you need mm -hmm. to do. So, what was like the most intense thing? Because you've said intense like three different times. So I'm oh, curious. Like, I mean, demo some, day is demo day is probably the most intense thing. Which so is which is everything uh, called to the to the demo day, right? Yeah. And then you're pitching to it's a crowd of like VCs, right? Yeah. So okay. it's streamed online now. So it's a massive oh, crowd of yeah. crowd of VCs. We were actually the first ones to present. It's so always the worst because you want to know how everybody else is gonna <laughs> do in the crowd reaction. Like yeah. You never want to be the first one to pitch. You want to at least see somebody else fail first. <laughs> and, <laughs> what do you mean? To boost your confidence and be like, okay, cool. I'm coming in behind him. Um, and then you get uh, you get the interest coming inbound. And then it's, so you've just pitched. And then it's, you've got to, for the next hours, you're smashing out replies to reach out to all the investors mm -hmm. who are interested and lining up meetings with them. And then you're going through the process of 
of pitching and raising raising the round. Yeah. So um, so do you do you pretty much just like roll right into a seed round right after? Wasting? Yeah. Pretty okay. much. I mean, it depends on the stage the company's yeah, yeah. at, but yeah. most most people roll into a seed round. So you guys raise some cash. Yeah, we raise some cash uh, straight after Y Combinator. Okay. We got um, did a really good round, and then it's yeah back to work, back to work building what you're working on and and uh, putting the capital to good use. Can you say who you raise money from? Uh, the, the big, the big one that we can share is uncommon capital. Okay. Yeah. Uncommon capital. Uncommon capital. Who's over there? I can't remember. It sounds familiar. Tikan and, uh, Jamie, they run that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, sick. Well, congrats on that. I mean, that's, I mean, not only like on getting into YC, but then actually getting through and then raising some more cash and then you already, already had the customers. I'm sure. Yeah. We had some customers already. Yeah. So that certainly helps. So um, how big is, how big was the team at this point? At the point that we were raising, we had two people. So okay. we, we, um, Raised, got all the customers, two people on the team. So, I mean, like, not to brag, but like, we've got a very good, very solid technical team. Yeah. Um, well, it's probably something you should brag about as a software company. Probably. <laughs> We're Australians, though. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Gotta be humble. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we built we built it all ourselves, um, and then we hired hired extra people since then, um, and. I mean, the the rate the the market now is really exciting for us too because with an ease off in the, in the tech hiring space, we're mm -hmm. able to now start looking at you can get good talent, getting for really good talent at, a at not affordable, ridiculous. yeah, affordable rates, right? Well, we, I don't know about affordable, but it's just not ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, just not ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting to see things kind of cooling off in the tech space and the downsizing, particularly like you know groups like Meta, right? Yeah. Oh, it's just hiring freezes across the board now. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So is so is most of the capital utilized just to be able to grow the team, be able to scale the technology? Yeah, it's just about. I mean, we're a software company, so our key thing is is our technical talent, mm -hmm. our the getting the right people in the team to build out the foundation, so that we can build uh, build that end goal of that platform that you can run yeah. an entire operation on. What which tech stack did you guys up? We're with? Python backend, React front end. Cool, love it. Yeah, nice, nice and, and simple. Edge. Yeah. Yeah, easy, easy to build beautiful stuff in React too. Yeah, and we do some pretty cool. One, uh, one of my founder, co-founder Michael, is an absolute weapon with AWS. So we do some very cool stuff in the cloud. Really? Uh, so, like, uh, what what we're doing in the auto design space, we actually spin out thousands of thousands of parallel computers to rapidly crunch numbers with. So, I mean, you you can companies are running stuff on HPCs. We're running stuff on something about ten times as big Jesus. as that. So you're using that for a lot of the uh, kind of like heavy backend computations. Yeah, when we when we run an auto design workflow, yeah. in order to in order to discover more of the solution space, in order to throw more compute behind that, basically, because mm -hmm. when you're working on high value problems, compute's relatively cheap versus the improvement you can get mm -hmm. from that compute. So are you, have you guys got into the kind of the type curves and economics out of it yet? Or is that something I mean, that's like the future? There's some pretty interesting companies already working on that. There's so a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. We're, we're not touching that for the moment. Yeah. It's much more just helping you see your production in context of your other data. I think that's a unique value proposition that not really anybody else has offered, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, there's some stuff out there that helps you see like subsurface data but can they look at all thousand wells? Mm -hmm. Can they load that on a phone? You can load a thousand wells 3D on a phone? Yeah. Jesus Christ. 
Everybody, you don't need to step your games up. If we're looking at a thousand wells in 3D on a phone, you don't need to step your technology up. So, <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't want to look at all thousand wells yeah. on a phone, but you're able to navigate the space. And so we've got what we call like a render engine, which is smartly figuring out what to show you in, in extra detail and what's just contextual information. Yeah. So you can see like, okay, well, here are the, here is my well in focus. You can see then all the detail on that well. Then you've got your offset wells, which have sufficient detail to understand the context of where you are. So and you, then you've got distance wells where it's like, okay, I can see how the depth is changing. I can see where I've developed other areas. So is this all proprietary data that the companies have, or are they mixing and mashing that with also public data that you would get from an Inveris, yeah. uh, regulatory, anybody else? Mix, mix, mixing and matching. So, I mean, we've been leaning in on making it really easy to load in Inveris. Um, data because yeah. lots of people lots of people have that yeah but then it's like adding in your proprietary data yeah. so where you've got much more uh, accurate information than what's publicly available bringing that in so how's the so you said you've been you've been in the u.s for five weeks now you're making the rounds you're traveling all over have you gone to midland yet no no oh that's gonna be a culture shock for you <laughs> You got it. We've done Denver and Houston. You go, okay. Denver, Houston, San. Well, Midland's its entirely own beach. You got to, got to go out there. How's the, how's the reception been? You know, trying to break into the U.S. market. So we've got uh, an early adopter that we've really liked working with, yeah. and um, we're seeing that people really see the vision as well. Like they're seeing when, I mean, it's, it's when you show someone the ability to see their data in, in space, you get excited about what you can do with it. And, and people are figuring out new ways of uh, new things they could do with it that we didn't necessarily imagine. Um, I mean, a big, a big obvious, I mean, it's, it's kind of like Dropbox and Teams brought into a, into a contextual space. Like you can use it to share your data. You can use it to have a conversation around your data. Um, and then rather than just a table of like comments or annotations on a, on a drilling log or a timestamp, if I'm now drilling a new well, I can just bring up Deep Insight and have a look at, okay, here's my offset well. Here are all the comments were made while that was being drilled and completed as I'm drilling this one. And I can just see, okay, something similar happened over here at this depth. That was what was done about it. Rather than having to go, oh, where's that? Where's that log? Where's the, where's the Y line? Where's the Payson data? Mm -hmm. Where are my formation tops and trying to piece all that together? So you guys are pulling all that on data plus any of the contextual comments and things like that in the, in the drilling process? We're not quite um, automated in the sense yeah. that we, we're not sort of integrated with all those different data sets. But I mean, that's something that we're, we're waiting for the right customer to, yeah. to do that with. Yeah. Yeah. There's, God, that's a lot of data. It's yeah. a lot of data. But, but I mean, that's the benefit of the cloud, right? Yeah. It's, it's. I think for for a while I kind of struggled because I was never in a position to where I needed to to see things kind of contextually. I think I really struggled with the idea of like digital twins, for example, mm -hmm. right? And really truly understanding that. And I kind of had like this epiphany when we were planning Fuse that um, we had randomly put out there, hey, does anybody – we came with this idea. If we could make a digital twin of our entire venue space, right, then in theory, right, if we could go down to like the foot, we could use it for event planning. Right. And so there's software you can actually load in the elements of like, oh, we have a massive tent here, a massive stage here. And then you're able to understand how much space do you have left? Where do things go and from, from an event planning perspective? Because that's how you plan things. And what we were doing is we kept driving across town like three days a week and kept planning things because it's the only way that we can visualize it. Yeah. 
right? And then if you move that on to like almost like the BD side, right? Particularly when you're talking about like exhibitors or sponsorships or whatever. Now, if you imagine if you can take them to a 3D environment and they can see exactly what they're kind of getting yeah, involved in, sick. it totally changes the game. So I had like had this recent epiphany. Sorry, guys, I was a little late to the party <laughs> as to, yeah, just seeing things kind of contextually in the way that your brain like really wraps your head around it. Yeah. I mean, it's even like helpful outside of being like closely involved. Like you can imagine you're onboarding to a company and it's like, what's going on? Like, what is the big picture? What do we have? Like just being able to say, yeah, I don't need to buy another enormously expensive license to share. Just being able to say, yeah, here's the login. Yeah. Just go look at the data. You've got permissions to look at. What's been like the number one like feedback that you've gotten as you're kind of going through these like discovery conversations with with new customers? I think people are pretty shocked when you can actually like see they're just, they're the just level like, of data yeah, they're that just you're amazed just looking that you can at on a 2D map actually do this. 3D. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's that is pretty shocking. Yeah, <laughs> compared to what we're talking about here, the Excel usually. So what's so what's next on like the development roadmap? Like, what are you guys excited about, or is it just can keep you know kind of hitting the road, getting that feedback, and just building what the customers want? Yeah, I mean it's very much what what you mentioned there. Uh, working really hard on making it super easy to get the data you need in to correct it where you see it's wrong because it's so easy to audit data when you when it's visual. You can pick up things and in a spreadsheet are just hard to see. Mm -hmm. um, so correct that data. Um, and then, then what's really exciting is once you've got that good baseline there, then it's like building really high value design tools on top of it, like what we did in the completion um, design space for our customers in Australia. Mm -hmm. So I have all my data in here where my well paths are going. Like yeah. I've got a data science team working on analyzing all that data can we enable can we enable those models to then be viewed in in the 3D space because ultimately it is a it is a 3D output it's got to be it's got to have depth there mm -hmm. so then put in the hands of a of a drilling team or a planning team to say validate the the drilling path or validate the positions that are being suggested to put wells just with a quick look with all the other context there and then that can massively reduce the cycle times um, and that's pretty exciting. What, a, what an exciting time to be in this space. There's like so much cool technology. Yeah, there is. Thinking about like 10 years ago when I came in, it was just like everything was on-prem, old school, .NET, yeah. like SQL databases, super boring, definitely nothing 3D. And well, it's I mean, like, yeah. You can't do certain things when you're yeah. on-prem. Like you can't run, uh, even if you've got a HPC cluster, yeah. you can't run really large scale compute on it you can't you can't spin out 5000 parallel solvers and spit back detailed solutions yeah in a handful of minutes so you can almost <laughs> do this in real time i mean uh i've heard stories like back from like 20 years ago when you'd work on like finite element or cfd type stuff or simulations you would months you would hit run and then just hope that it would keep running yeah <laughs> and yeah. you come back later and, and have a look yeah. i mean that's still the case when you're doing really complex stuff like formula one a lot of a lot of subsurface stuff on the on the gng side still yeah uh i mean I, I, think, I think some of that's changed because i think a lot of the compute stuff has kind of moved into the gpu space yeah as opposed to cpus but it's still it's still like a big challenge, so, depending on like the size of the data set yeah. and what are you trying to crunch. Yeah, but I, it's just like versus what you could do twenty years ago. It's gone so far. Yeah, yeah. Dude, wait till we get quantum computing. 
That would be game changing. It's going to be fucking game changing for everything. Yeah. The whole world. So where are you guys at now? So you mentioned when you were at Y Combinator, it was two of you guys. Obviously, you probably scaled the team now. Yeah. What are you guys at now? We've got four full-time okay. developers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a variety of different advisors, consultants as well, inputting in, in sort of deep technical aspects of what we're working on. And we're um, looking for, for another really good developer now. So if anyone's listening. Hey, there's, there's always some developers. And so... So, so the main, so the main area you guys are really kind of focusing on is if I might be butchering this now is really drilling completion space or is it drilling specifically? Drilling completion space. Like, okay. I mean, we're, we're not locking ourselves into a certain customer base, but that is yeah. where we've, where we've got good contacts already. Yeah. Um, and where we see a lot of potential improvements yeah. as well, uh, particularly just around the cycle times. Um, and also people who, yeah, they don't currently have access to a lot of the data that could really help them um, execute better, plan mm-hmm. better. Um, so who are the ideal customers? I mean, you got a huge audience yeah, listening. Yeah. Who are the ideal customers? Who should reach out to you right now? Who should reach out to us? Uh, smaller smaller, and, and, and mid-sized operators who want to improve their ability to break down their data silos, enable their entire team to access and extract value from their data. Um, any big big tier companies listening, we'd love to talk to you, but uh, we've got a couple of big tier companies working with us already, um, and uh, our, we may not be able to service your needs just yet. <laughs> create, uh, you got to create a little FOMO there, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, the, the, the input and feedback from the big tier guys is is really necessary too because yeah. that's where we're going going long term. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a much harder problem to solve building the – Building the software required at a super major versus a 50-person team. Mm-hmm. Um, completely different requirements, completely different like service needs, uh, different challenges. And yeah. so like, solve the easier problem first yeah. and build a fantastic experience before. Yeah, 100%. So is the is the website endla.com? Endla.com. Nice and Okay. Yeah. Nice and easy. You never know if it's a .io these days or... Yeah, we spent the money. Yeah, you spent that money on .com. Yeah. Same here. Luckily, we bought digitalwildcutters.com for like five bucks. <laughs> I wasn't quite that cheap, but it was pretty cheap. <laughs> a yeah, five-letter domain is uh, not not uh, super easy to come by these days. Yeah. Well, cool. And you're also on, you're also on LinkedIn. So if anybody wants to reach out, Riley, Riley O'Donnell on LinkedIn, they can look you up. We'll put that in the, uh, the show notes as well. I'm excited to... to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep track of like y'all's progress and stuff. Love to have you on in a year and just learn exactly where you guys are at and see where you're with the product and with customers and all of it. So thanks for, thanks for making the trip down, man. Thanks. Yeah, I'd love to come on again. It's always fun having a chat. Absolutely. Reach out to these guys if you think that's something that would uh, fit for you guys. Send this along to all your colleagues. We will catch you guys on the next episode. <laughs>